my other glasses today. I'm not sure I can actually see with them. <laughs> my word. <laughs> Who else has that? Do you have that problem? It's supposed to be the same prescriptions as the other ones I wear. You put them on and you kind of, oh dear. <laughs> I'll read without them. It's easier to read without them, actually. I'm going to read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. Um, We're in a little mini-series, if you're a visitor here today. (coughs) Just these first three weeks of the year, we're um, looking at um, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and remind ourselves uh, of what it means to be a disciple Uh, and looking at some of the marks of discipleship, in a way. And um, we looked at two last week. We're going to look at a few more this morning. It's coming to focus now. Praise God. (laughs) From Luke chapter 9, Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him. Remember we said last week, one of the first important steps of being a disciple is to spend time with Jesus. That's what his disciples did. They were with him. He was uh, praying in private and his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, the one, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God, the anointed one of God, that's what that means. And Jesus strictly warned them not to go telling everyone about that straight away. But he said to them, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And he went on to say to them, if any one of you would come after me, if anyone would be my disciple who would follow me, he must deny himself And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will save it. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Being a disciple. That's what we are looking at last week. We started this little series and we realized that the first two marks of being a disciple is spending time with Jesus. The physical twelve were appointed to be with him. And it's very important to spend time with Jesus. You know, we, we never grow if we don't spend time with people. Secondly, we looked at that actually the, another mark of discipleship is that we must love Jesus supremely. You put God first. You see, I say Jesus in all of these things. I'm not going to get into a little rap. I say Jesus, you say, I don't know. <laughs> but that doesn't work. <clears throat> but I say Jesus, and I'm, when I say Jesus, I'm talking about God. Because that's the important thing. We've 
You've heard me say it many times before. If you want to become a Christian, you have to answer those simple questions that Jesus referred to when he was talking to his disciples. Who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? And then he went on to say what he was going to do to suffer and die and rise again. What did he do? Jesus was fully God and fully man. He is God in the flesh. And we need to recognize when we talk about knowing God, we look at Jesus. And you'll know God by knowing Jesus. And so we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to love him supremely. And as I said last week, that's not the kind of just a yucky kind of love. I know men kind of get to that position as well. I don't know about saying I love you. It's hard enough to tell my wife I love her. Well, maybe we should try a bit harder and say it a few more times. But also to actually say, I I love God. I'm going to follow Jesus. And if if you don't like the words, I love him, then say, he's all my commander. You're my Lord. You're the Lord of hosts. I'm going to follow you. I put you first. I seek you first. That's what it means to love him supremely. I'm going to put you first. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, etc. And today I want to come on and do two more marks of what it means to be a disciple. We're only going to look at six over these three weeks. This one today. The third one is, if you want to be a disciple and grow spiritually, then I must love every other disciple. Well, that kind of makes it a little bit more difficult, doesn't it? It's one thing to say we love God because God is perfect. You know? You're not. (laughs) I'm not. So it's actually a little bit harder to love each other than it is, to, in one way, to love God. Because whatever our kind of perception, we can kind of put God up there on the pedestal. But actually we've got to look at each other and say we need to love one another, and we're not perfect. In fact, sometimes we're quite irritating, aren't we? Sometimes we're quite obnoxious. Sometimes we show our imperfections and our insecurities. And yet Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you can't just love me, you have to love everybody in my family. And what is the family of God? The church. It's us. So just have a little look around, will you? (coughs) Turn around and see who's behind you. You see, the Word of God is telling us that we have to not just love God with all our heart and with all our strength, but actually we have to love one another because that's what's important as well. Here's what Jesus says. If we go on John's Gospel, he says, Love one another as I have loved you. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. There it is. Why? If you love one another. Now, isn't it interesting? Some, many of the verses I, I referred to last week, and if you go through the way Jesus deci- defines discipleship, a lot of them have that little word if in. There's a condition there. There's something that's really important. This is what it means to be a disciple. If you love one another. And he says that's the hallmark of being a follower. Not just I love God, but actually we love each other. We love the church of God. You ever heard anyone say, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church? Yeah? I would hasten to say that they're not true disciples. Because we have to love the church. 
like it, lump it, and everything. You know, it's difficult because with all its faults and with all its imperfections and its faux pas and its failures, etc., we're just made up of normal, ordinary people, imperfect people. Jesus says the church matters, the family matters. Christ died for his church. In fact, it's listening to that poem. It's the only thing that's going to last. Is the church, the family of God. Microsoft and Apple will not last forever. They may think they will. <laughs> the Conservative Party and the Labour Party and any other party will not last forever. Great Britain will not last forever. Just God's family. That's what's going to last forever. So we'd better start learning to love one another now. Not waiting until we get to heaven. I think, well, I'll get through having to put up with you. I could, yeah, I could slip down that aisle and I won't need to talk to you that outside, you know. <laughs> we need to learn to love one another now. That's what it means to be a disciple. Yes, I want to spend time with God. I, I love God, I put him first, but he says you also need to love one another. Jesus died for his church. The, bri- the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. How is it if I said to you, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife? You might be offended, and rightly so, I would have thought, isn't it? Keith, if I said, you're a great guy, but your wife... You, you, you would be offended, especially if Fiona actually heard me say it. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't go down well, would it? But how many of us are like that about the church? And we may not verbalise the words, it's just in our heart, in our attitude. We kind of think, well, yeah, I love God. Oh, I can't stand the church, though. Well, actually, you know, there's times when I can't stand the church. <laughs> I'm not in a position necessarily just to run away. <laughs> I'm not going to turn up this week. I'm not going to see anyone. (laughs) Jesus says, you love my family. Another time it says, actually, the church is the body of Christ. How offended would we be? You would say, I really like you, but your body is a tough... It's not very hot. You you can say that of mine. But it's just ridiculous. These are ridiculous things, aren't they? But actually, that's behind some of our attitude about church. When actually... Jesus says, you have to love the church. This is the group of people, this is the body, the bride of Christ that is going to last forever. We will spend eternity with each other, so let's start loving one another now. One John 4 puts it very clearly, if someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God's saying I'm a liar if I say I love God and can't stand another Christian. For if you don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? To be a disciple, we must love other people in the family of God. Now, if you're making notes, I'd love you to write this statement down. Spiritual growth happens in community. Right? Spiritual growth happens in community. It doesn't happen on your own, by yourself. I would suggest that you cannot be a disciple 
following Christ in isolation. You cannot just say, well, me and Jesus have got this good thing going, but I just don't want you to mess it up. And it doesn't work like that. We grow in community. And being in community means we kind of rub each other up the wrong way at times. Sometimes we clash head on. Sometimes we just, you know, I was thinking yesterday, we've, I don't know if it's the worship group who came round for a social the other Saturday. Something's going on, weird. There. <laughs> um, but ever since then, we have had a smell in our front room. Yeah. No, not a nice one. Kind of like that, one of those sicky smells, like milk gone off or something. And I'm kind of thinking, was it the worship group or was it Joanna's friends who were around there the next day? You know, and, you know sort of, boy, we have done everything. To scr- I don't know, where am I going with this story? But you do everything. To get, you walk in, and, oh, it's just bearable. We had people around for supper on Friday night. We lit every scented candle possible. Come <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Because actually, what I'm saying, well, I don't know why I got into it. I did have a thought in my mind when this started. But, the, you know, we, we, need, we do rub each other up and we do do the things that we don't. But actually, we've got to learn to get on with each other. I'm sure there was, there was a reason why I raised that smell thing. You know. Other than making the worship group feel guilty. <laughs> We never grow to spiritual maturity without the church family. The Bible teaches in John 13, which we saw on the screen a bit earlier, you are my disciples if you love one another. That phrase, one another, is used 54 times, 58 times in the Bible. I've just jotted some of them down. You could add to this. You probably know some of them. Love one another. Care for one another. Help one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Support one another. Greet one another. The Bible says we're to put, we were put on this planet here in in order that we would help each other. Right? And that's what the Christian church, the Christian family is. We are to be in relationship. It's a community. And you may be listening to preachers on the radio and TV and the internet and all these things and you have filling your head with more and more knowledge, but actually you grow when you interact with other people. You grow by loving. Right? Love is the thing that God uses as the measure of how we're growing. What he wants to see is how do you, you know, God will put people in your path. Have you ever thought about this, about the idea of the fruit of the Spirit? And has anybody ever prayed for patience? Yeah? So what is God going to do? If you pray for patience, does he kind of plop it out of the sky in a parcel? Or does he actually put someone who's difficult in your path and you have to learn to be patient? To love one another means that sometimes we have some difficult people around us And I'm looking at an awful lot of them right now. (laughs) And we have to love one another. We have to support one another. Encourage one. It's not a matter of filling our heads. You can do all that in isolation. You just grow in knowledge. You see, this is what makes having a relationship with Jesus different than any other religion in the world. Right? Right? Did you know 
that in every other religion, the more you isolate yourself from other people, the more you're considered holy. Isn't it? If you kind of go off to the mosque on your own or into a monastery or you become some little guru in a cave in a mountain somewhere, sitting on a pole in the desert or whatever you do, you know, people have done that for donkey's years sometimes, but they're then considered a holy person because they've isolated themselves away from the kind of evil, wicked people like me. We don't want to get contaminated by them, so they'd send themselves away from sinful humanity. Don't want to get impure. The more, you're, more holy you'll be, the more separate from everyone else you'll be on earth. But that is the exact opposite of what Jesus says. Our holiness is only going to be seen in the way that we live with each other. Jesus didn't come and kind of say, right, I'm just going to sit on a pole in the desert. Anyone who wants to follow me, bring your own pole or something, you know. It it wasn't that. He got his hands dirty, didn't he? He walked into the lives and situations of people around him. He sat and ate with people. He healed the dirty, the leper. He spoke with the prostitute. Everything that was going on, Jesus got in there, in the marketplace. He went to parties. He turned water into wine. He went to so many parties that the religious people wanted to call him a party animal. Jesus taught us that actually you can't learn to love someone unless you're around other people. And so we can go and hide in our monasteries and even our Bible colleges or even just our front room. And you can read books and quote scripture and study till your brain is packed with theology but you're not spiritually mature because Jesus says you need to love other people. And that's where we grow. I've been dealing with things this week in my own life and with other people's lives and things that affect the church. And and when it boils down to it, it's all about growth. It's all about how do we respond and how do we react and where do we go with that and what have I learned from that so that we can be better the next time around. Because we, le- we just have to learn. We, we need to grow. Jesus expects us to be very radical in our love, more than the rest of the world. In 1 John, John wrote it like this. This is how we know what love is. This is what real love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. doesn't stop there. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. That's a quite hard demand, isn't it? Brothers and sisters in the family of God, God says, I'm going to measure your love by how much you are willing to lay something down for someone else in the family of God. It's a word we can call this, we call it fellowship. We've just said we just had a fellowship break. Well, it's not really a fellowship break. It is in a sense that we get to talk to some people and we get some refreshment. Maybe you can encourage people. That's the idea of it. Reach out to someone new, welcome them, greet one another, support one another. I saw people praying with each other. (coughs) But it's only 10, 15 minutes of a little bit of fellowship. Fellowship is where we live and share our lives. 
I love that passage in one, is it one or two Thessalonians when Paul says, I did not just come and preach to you, I shared my life with you. It's fellowship, as we share our lives together. That's fellowship. It's what it means to be a disciple. Not I love God, but I don't care about you. No, God says, if you love me, you must love my family. You must love my family. I must love your family. Is your family easy to love? Hmm? I think you're biased. <laughs> but hey, we, we need to be a people that love one another. You know, I think it'd be really good right now that we just pause. Would you like just to stand up? Lord, help me here. I think it's really important that we actually kind of go in and put your hand on someone else. You're not, not someone you're married to. You, you can do that at home. Just put them on your shoulder, not any inappropriateness. Hand on someone's shoulder. All right, just, and just say, we are the family of God. Lord, help me to love this person. Yeah? Now just say, just say hello to each other for a little bit. You know, you just, you, you got to get to share each other for eternity, you know. If you don't know their names, get their names. That's a start. <laughs> okay, you can take your seats again. You can take your seats again. See, when you start getting to know each other, you don't want to stop. <laughs> and that's a good thing. I just got one, one thing I want to say in this, and this is why it's so important in a church like ours, um, of what it means to be in a small group. Of whatever kind of small group, whether it's a life group or whether it's a little triplet of friends, you know, we, we, we have a little, well, we used to have a little leaflet talking about mini groups. You can't get along to one of the official groups. You start a mini group, three of you getting together to pray and share each other. Or you're in a service group where you work together, where you can actually support one another. It's really important because we grow in community. I need to say that. Why is it important? You say, oh, you're just banging on to try and recruit people to small groups. Well, that's not my reason. I want you to realize that you need some fellowship with other people, whatever form it takes. Because we grow together, we grow spiritually maturity in community. Because you, can, you can't love a crowd. We're not a mega church, but actually you, you don't even know everyone in this crowd, do you? Right? So you can't love the whole crowd, you can love the crowd for being a crowd in a sense, but you can't love the crowd, you love a few people because they're there for you. They're the ones who are close to you. You know, and if you don't have someone in a, in, a, in a small group where you've got to know a few, they're the ones that should, you, who should know when you're getting ill. They're the ones who know, who know that you, know, you just need that help right now. They're the ones who know that you've lost someone in your family and 
You need that word of encouragement. They're the ones that are going to support you. You know, you don't get the support and the love from the whole crowd. It's actually from just a few, isn't it? And I love this illustration. It happened a few years ago right here in this church. There was a little a life group, and um, one day I heard that one of their members, a guy called Jerry, some of you remember Jerry, Jerry had had cancer and he was in hospital. And uh, I didn't know that. It was only when he came out of hospital. And he gave a wonderful testimony. And he just said to me, he said, the house group, they brought me meals every day. They visited me every day in hospital. They brought me meals at home every day. And I just thought, that is the church in action. It's not about whether the little office up here, that Sue and I know what to do and we're kind of right busybodies into everybody's life. No, there's that small group who know them and help them and serve them. We want you to be part of something like that. I think it's really important. It's just like a human body. Your human body, the body of Christ, is made up of many cells, just like your body is made up of many cells. We're not just just a one big blob of a cell. There's millions of cells that make up us. And so it is in, uh, in, in any church, even a church this size. There's our twos and threes and fours and fives and sixes and sevens and tens and twelves meeting in groups to support and encourage it. And I would say to you, to be a disciple, you need to love other disciples. And it starts by loving a small group and recognizing I need to be part of that. I need to be part of that. They're in a way the laboratories of where you can practice loving each other. So maybe make it your goal of 2017 to be in some small group where you can not only get support and encouragement and prayer and ask your questions, etc., but where you can give as well. Right, so, I need to spend time with Jesus I need to put Jesus first. I need to love other Christians. Fourth mark of what I understand what it means to be a disciple is that I must always do what Jesus tells me. It may not always make sense and it may not always be popular. It may be costly. But it will always be right because God is not going to lead you down the wrong path in the wrong direction. John 8 puts it like this. John 8, 31. If you hold, that means to obey or to follow my teaching, you are truly my disciples. What a a definition of being a disciple. If you obey my teaching, you're my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now I reckon most people in and out of the church recognize that phrase, the truth will set you free. Yeah? Yeah? But how many people remember the sentence that just comes before it there? If you obey my teaching, then you're my disciple. Then you'll know the truth and it will set you free. Most people only know the f- that second part. But here's a few things that I just want us to grab from that about spiritual growth. The first one, growth is an ongoing process. Growth is a process. It's going to take the rest of my life 
We're never going to stop learning. You're never going to stop learning. Jesus says if you hold to, if you continue to hold to, if you continue to follow and you go on obeying, it's a process. Growth is not, I went to a class and now I'm mature. You know? I did alpha, there we go, holy one. <laughs> you know, it doesn't quite work like that, does it? Well, it didn't work for me. <laughs> you know? No, it's going on. The process goes on day by day, isn't it? Being a disciple is putting one foot in front of the other. And as you read the Bible, that's what it talks about. If you walk in the light, if you walk by the Spirit, isn't it? That's that sense of putting one foot in front, just making a bit of progress one step at a time. And I love that old proverb that says, when you stumble and you fall down, you get up again. Amen. Who stumbled and fallen down as a disciple of Jesus? I have. And we get up again. And God is there to help us up. And we go on, step by step. None of us are perfect. One of these days, we might have a perfect person, and I've promised you a shrine in that corner <laughs> if we get one perfect person here. I've noticed something over the years <clears throat> that people can go to church for 20, 30, even 40 years or more and not be spiritually mature. They can be immature. How can that be? I often think about it. How can that be? You know, they're, they're, I, I think I'd like to think they're hearing some good teaching here in this church, but somehow they're not growing up. You know, some people can still be cranky and self-centered and still be gossiped and resentful and and bitter, and all sorts of things, isn't it? Hanging around with their hang-ups. You know, they don't seem to be growing and spiritually maturing. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why it is. It's because we forget what we learn. Now, this, if you're a teacher, you'll, you'll, you'll have sympathy with me, because it applies to us. Research and studies tell us that, actually, we forget... 90 to 95 percent of everything we hear within 72 hours. Do you know how depressing that is for me right now? <laughs> that means that everything I'm saying right now is going to be forgotten by Friday or by Wednesday, even. <laughs> and I work really hard to prepare a message. I like to think of a sermon like a three-course meal. There's got to be different things in it for different people and lots of different tastes. I could just come and give you beans on toast. So there you go. But I want to present with you something that you can get your teeth into and apply this and have a taste of that. And prepare to think that 90% of it is gone by Wednesday. Okay, guys who are teachers, you must be thinking, oh, no wonder my kids don't get the grade. <laughs> It takes more than just turning up on a Sunday and listening to a sermon to really grow. This week I came across this little phrase. I like it. In fact, I'm thinking of going to try and get, we can get one of those Ikea dispensers. You know, all those little pencils? A little phrase that says, the shortest pencil is longer than the longest memory. 
That's why it's great when I see people making notes. <laughs> I recommend you jot some things down because if you've forgotten it by Wednesday, maybe you could start thinking, well, you know what, on a Thursday or Friday I'm going to review what I heard last week. And I'm not pointing the finger at you because sometimes, you know what, I forget what I've preached on the week before. <laughs> so we're all in the same boat. We forget what we've learned. But we need to recognise it's a process. It's a process. Remember the last time we had some of the young people being baptised here? And they, and, they, and they all kind of said, well, when I was at Soul Survivor, they said, you know, you remember some of the, you guys who gave your testimonies, when I was at Soul Survivor, this, you know, there's Joe and I going, ooh, how many times have we said that? <laughs> but it takes, you know, the pennies dropped in the end. Why? Because it's a process. And when we care and counsel and we pray with you and you pray with me and you don't see that progress but one step at a time, a little bit at a time, being a disciple means transformation and change and growth, but it's a process. Sometimes I feel as though I've kind of gone two steps forward and one step backwards in my life all the time. It's kind of, It's a process. Second thing, spiritual growth is measured by obedience. If you hold and obey my teaching, then you're my disciples. It's not based on how much you know, but how much you practice, how much you actually do. There are a lot of people who can know the Bible but not live it. And you can meet people who are storehouses of Bible knowledge. And they can quote the verse and things like that, but sometimes they're still the most cranky, cantankerous, argumentative, judgmental people around. That's not what true discipleship is about. And I say that because the Bible says it. The Bible puts it like this. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge will lead to arrogance, Love will lead to a humble spirit. Not judging one another, but offering to forgive. Not pointing the finger, not condemning, but supporting and encouraging. Some people, I know, just kind of, some people just want new teachings all the time. Oh, give us some new, new stuff. I've, Peter, I've heard this before. I expect most of you could actually preach this. You've heard it before. It was Mark Twain who said, it's not the verses in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the ones I do understand that bother me. It's not that I need to find out more about something I haven't really got to grips with yet. But am I putting into practice something I have already understood? I've heard it, and I need to do it. Blessed are those that do the Word of God, isn't it? Not blessed are those that hear it, but blessed are those that do. I remember, I've probably given this illustration before, I think it was Terry Virgo, stood up at a, a a C.J. Mahaney conference, and he said, have we, have, have we been blessed today? And everyone said, yes, after T- T- C.J. had given a, a, a wonderful speech, a wonderful talk. 
And then Terry turned around and said, no, we haven't. And it was a pin drop across the room. Because it's not blessed when you just listen to it. It's when we go and do it. That's when the blessing comes. Blessed are those who do. So we need to see that our spiritual maturity is measured by obedience. But that obedience is based on the word of God. If you hold to my teaching, says Jesus. Now there are a lot of books around. A lot of good books you can read. And they're positive and motivational and they may teach you many skills, but actually it's not human ideas that are going to help you to make grow spiritually. It's not human philosophy or pop psychology that's going to teach you to grow in a mature spiritual way. It's actually we need to feed on the Word of God. We need to get hold of it. We need to get into the Word of God so the Word of God gets into you. We need to feed our souls. And so that leads to my fourth bit about spiritual growth. And you'll wonder where this is going because actually it, it says spiritual growth will set you free. You get into that truth. And you learn it and you know it. The truth will set you free. What does that mean, to be set free? Freer in all sorts of ways. Free from the expectations of others when you're learning to be what God wants you to be, not what other people want you to be. Free from anxieties and insecurities. Free from those worries. Free from those um, situations where you're just kind of full of, 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 of tension in your life because you can't get any perspective. When you let God's word, when you hold on to what, this is the way Jesus would want me to live. And okay, you may not be wearing a band that said, what would Jesus do? But you know it in your heart when you just say, Lord, I want to follow, I want to do the right thing. I want to say the right thing. I just want to live for you. That's what it means to be free. And it doesn't happen overnight, it's a process. But that's what discipleship is. Becoming more like Jesus. And here's what Jesus put it. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Well, you can, that's a wonderful promise. When, you, when you've got your remaining in him and he's remaining in you and his word is remaining in you, then you're not going to be asking for selfish things. You're going to be asking things according to his will and his ways. And he wants to give. But he goes on, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And you continue in a process. And God just deals with us in that process. He's not waiting for you and saying, you know, I'm going to love you when you get mature. He loves us wherever state we're in right now. Right? He loves us along the way. How many of you have had your own children bring you a picture? And then you say, oh, that's wonderful. You know, I've gone, who's, who's ever done something like that? If your children have painted you a picture. My children have painted me pictures. And I say, oh, that's wonderful. What am I actually saying then? Oh, you're better than Rembrandt. Like, no, of course I'm not. <laughs> you know? 
I'm just saying that's perfect for what you're doing right now, for where you're at. Hmm? And God is kind of says that to us. I love it where you are right now. You don't measure yourself against someone else. I think, oh, I'll never be like him, I'll never be like her. You don't have to be them anyway. God is just saying, I'm lo- I love you now where you are and I just want you to take the next step. He loves you unconditionally. Whatever place in that discipleship maturity path you're in, but he still wants you to grow. And just like our own children go through all those phases of growth, don't they? They kind of, you know, they first learn to, you know, to look at you, and then they learn to feed themselves. Isn't that great when they feed themselves? And they learn to talk, and they learn to walk. And you're hoping and praying that one day they're going to walk out the door. (laughs) Why? Because that's the normal path of growth, isn't it? And God is like that with us. He sees us. He says, you know, I want you to know me. I want you to love me. I want you to love others. I want you then to serve. I want you to share with others. I want you to fly. I want you to just go on eagle's wings and soar. Why? Because God loves us all the way along. Whatever state, whatever step of maturity or immaturity we're in, we're at, God still loves us and he wants the best for us. He wants us to grow and we do that by developing some good habits. This is what I'm going to close with and pass on to Jack to lead us in time of communion. You see, character is what matters to God. And character comes by developing some good habits. If I was to say, well, I've really got uh, that Christian character of being honest, but only 70% of the time, I would say you're not very honest. Honey, I'm going to be faithful to you 28 days a month. (laughs) What's wrong with that? You might think, well, what about the months I've got 30 days and 31 days? <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not faithful 100% of the time, you're not faithful, are you? So we've got to develop habits in order to get us. You know, I constantly, every year, I think I just start a new reading plan of the Bible. By about this week, <laughs> I've messed it up. <laughs> so I don't use those anymore. I just go where God leads me. We don't need legalistic stuff in a sense. We just need to develop the habit of spending some time with him. And a good habit if you're to grow, just like learning to feed yourself and learning to walk and learning to talk and things like that, good habits for us as Christians are getting into God's word. And whether it's three chapters or three verses, it doesn't really matter. Let God speak to you. A good habit is conversing with him, isn't it? Because that first mark of a disciple is to spend time with Jesus. And I pray that that's the kind of fruit that will develop in our lives, that we grow as Christians. So we just bow our heads. I'm going to pass over... We should love God with all our heart and with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. And we should love one another as we love ourselves.
And we should obey God's word so that we become more like Jesus every step. Thank you, Lord, that you love us at whatever stage of development we're in. And I just ask you to think in your own heart, what, what do you need to do in your own growth? Spend more time in quiet before God. Learning his priorities and making them your priorities. Loving other people who might be unlovely and difficult. Obeying the things that you know God wants you to do and how you should live. Lord, help us in our different stages to grow more and more in Christ Jesus. Amen.